Welcome back to the Health Unfiltered podcast. It is officially episode five. We're getting into the big numbers now. (laughs) (laughs) I am Brooke West and I am joined by Ro, Nicole, and our first guest, Aaron Lipinski. Hello. Hi, Aaron. Yeah, we got like a full house here today. Um, Aaron is a longtime friend from Virginia Tech. That's how we met. We did our undergraduate work together. She's a registered dietitian based in the DC metro area. And her specialty is in assisting cardiac patients with weight loss and their weight loss journey. Aaron started her own company, Eat with Aaron, in the spring of 2019. And here we are. How are you doing, Aaron? Yeah. Doing well. I mean, I was actually just passing through Virginia Tech this weekend, trying to get outside, get out of town for a bit with COVID. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. I'm uh, happy to join you guys. I'm excited. I saw your stories of getting food at Gillies. I loved that place. Oh my gosh, just so good. It was my uh, fiance's first experience at Gillies, and he didn't love it as much as me, so it kind of broke my heart. But <laughs> dump him. But he's still your fiance, so I mean, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, oh, that's great. I should uh, remind him of that, you know. <laughs> that's funny. Well, what are you guys drinking tonight? How's everyone doing? Doing well. I'm uh, currently actually straying from the wine pack and drinking tea, <laughs> just because it sounded good. But nice. <laughs> I've done that myself on some of these podcasts. Yeah, the big okay. mug of tea or decaf mm-hmm. coffee, whatever you had last mm-hmm. time. That was um, me, decaf coffee. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, a bunch cool, of cool. Old <laughs> so I'm not folks. the only one. I'm still a young and bugging 27-year-old, <laughs> so catch me drinking Sunday nights. Um, I have uh, – it's called the Slice of Heffen from La Cumbre, which is uh, another brewery here in New Mexico, so I'm still riding Ooh. that, that – uh, what is that local beer train? So it's good. It's a blonde. You know how I like blondes. So oh I'm god, happy. no. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. <laughs> um, I'm drinking like this spritzer thing that one of my friends got this for my birthday. Uh, Rogue can probably say it better. Elenita, and it's like a me- a mezcal with natural flavors, and it's cucumber and lime basil. Oh, too funny. I just tried a cucumber caffeinated sparkling water <laughs> the Jeez. other day. Um, yes. <laughs> it was actually decent, but very cucumbery. I think that's very yeah, it actually definitely tastes like that smoky, the smoky taste of the mezcal. So of the, ma- the mezcal. <laughs> mezcal. How do you say it, Ro? Come on, judge it's, me it's, some more. It's mezcal. That's it. Oh, nice God, and easy. This is so annoying. Elanitas <laughs> and the mezcal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was in Mississippi uh, the, this weekend, so I, I've just been surrounded by how y'all doing. So I just got to keep poking fun while I can. It's all I love it. So judgmental. I'm not judgmental. It's just please fun. come on. That's it's like a fun. top trait of yours. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Rose white girl accent is my favorite thing. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have to hear it. No, I mean, I think that's I want to learn about you. It's got to be, I'll try to like add it in via, you know, you can't put it at the beginning because then, because then people will stop listening. They're like, I got what I came for. So we'll sprinkle it in throughout the episode. And they're like, okay, at 30 30 minutes, six seconds, he hits it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's called content. Brooke, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Botanist and Barrel Farmhouse Cider. It's a a really dry Mm. cider. This is a local cider. Cidery, and I really, really like it. 
I could have gone for a cider tonight too. It's refreshing. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can pause it and just go. <laughs> like, screw this tea. I need a cider. Luckily, I'm in DC, so I really could just run across the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, well, cool. Uh, thank you for joining us, Aaron. Um, we've kind of obviously introduced each other uh, or ourselves. We did get a question of the week. This is from a couple weeks ago, um, and it was from Desmond Millinder. Shout out to UNM uh, Exercise Science. But uh, his question is, and and I think that it's a really good question because of our topic today. Um, but the question is, are added sugars the leading cause of the obesity pandemic? Mm. So, or epi- epidemic, we're kind of arguing with each other earlier about whether it's a pandemic or epidemic, but... Um, would like to get your thoughts on on what you think about this question specifically, but also um, maybe, you know, what you think it might be or something. Yeah. So, wow, that's a good question. So I think uh, with added sugars, I think there's been a lot of research on the implications of added sugar in certain quantities between males and females with, uh, with cardiac risk. Um, you know, that's kind of been studied a little bit seemingly larger on a a larger scale with, you know, having less than 25 grams for females and uh, less than 35 grams for males. And, you know, you can reduce your risk for coronary or cardiac, uh, you know, risks. Uh, But I I think with with obesity, I wouldn't say that that is the leading cause. I think with obesity, it's a little more complicated than just added sugars. I think, you know, added sugars may be a part of the caloric, you know, the caloric, the behavioral part of um, caloric intake um, that could contribute to obesity, but I don't think it's the the main uh, cause. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think also <clears throat> if you look at the the sugar intake over the past like twenty years, it's decreased, but like obesity has gone up. So mm-hmm. you know, if we look at even correlation and causations, like those don't match up. Um, but like you said, it's it's a multifactorial thing, right? It's like a yeah. huge thing. Uh, and I think that <clears throat> I am finally going to release this blog on high fructose corn syrup uh, and why I think it's a bad rep. But yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like you can't pin it on one thing specifically. At least that's, you know, my take and obviously something like yours. I was going to say, right. didn't well, we get into, you got into it with someone about something similar to this. Ro, what was that about? That high fructose yeah, corn syrup was, they said was it was about okay. high fructose. Yeah, there was this person in my <laughs> nutrition class. Eye roll, who, big eye roll was there. <laughs> who, who I don't know, like decided to mention high fructose corn syrup as like its own thing, and I was like, oh yeah, I don't think it's like a big, like it's not. I don't think it stands out exclusively. It's part of this big thing, and she threw some studies my way, and I was like trying to avoid real work. So I spent like eight hours reading up all this, these, I think it was like 14 studies about high fructose corn syrup and, uh, you know, why it is and isn't. I wrote out this like two page long thing for like a discussion post that was supposed to be 250 words. And I was like, <laughs> like I'm heated. Cause she was like, she was like, Oh, like maybe, you know, you can learn if you have all day and blah, blah. And I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm tilted. So then yeah, in my pettiness, I wrote it all out. I said the same thing like, "Hey, since this is your area of interest, which he's never done research on, but whatever, uh, <laughs> you will enjoy reading this." And all she gave me was like, "We can a- agree to disagree." And I was like, "God, oh, <laughs> yikes!" <laughs> so, 
you know, the the whole payoff there being uh, nothing, just a wasted 12 hours. So, well, so trait good. number two of Roe is that he yeah. would prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just, His life I just, mission. I like to argue, I guess. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> it's, nah, it's scary nah. sometimes. <laughs> All right, cool. Welcome, welcome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have a really... Uh, Man, this is like a big issue. I feel like we can take so many different directions, but we're going to start by talking about the diet industry, which is largely, you could call it the weight loss industry, and what the hell is going on there. A lot. <laughs> yeah. $72 billion a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some people are thriving in a in a way that's, you know, aligned with good morals and then other people, not so much. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Yeah. I think that one of the main sponsors I want to get first is like probably a fat loss pill. Uh, and then like sweet sweat or whatever, like that strap you put on to sweat more that will oh, strap. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that, I think that really aligns with, with our mission in our podcast. So. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, if you got wow. any contacts, let us, let us yeah, know. Yeah. So click the link in the bio, you know, yeah. for those that are new to the podcast, please don't ever try those things. Rose kidding. Yeah. They, yeah. No, I think they're a complete waste of money. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah and then leading into that, uh, we're also going to be talking about weight bias. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that'll have some like really, um, good conversation and you know maybe some uh points of contention as well but i'm really looking forward to what you're bringing today so yeah let's start I'm excited to chat about let's that. start with like thoughts i just want to hear everyone's thoughts about diet industry weight loss industry you kind of touched already aaron on like the moral implications and some people have ethics and don't like what's your overall opinion and consensus there Oh, well, I take a deep breath because there's a lot that could be discussed on this topic. I feel like with a lot of the, um, there's, there's, there's a few different umbrellas of people who are trying to, uh, help the masses with their, either their health or their weight, um, or both. And I think one umbrella is, is, uh, dietitians and, uh, professionals who are, uh, credited in helping people to achieve their goals. And then, uh, you know, there are specific individuals who have gone maybe varying paths, but maybe they're they're a doctor who's you know achieved a master's in nutrition, or you know other individuals that aren't necessarily dietitians, and they're giving credible advice. And then there's a variety of people who um, who might be touted as nutritionists and might have some ex- experience in the nutrition realm and have. Uh, good spirited intentions towards helping people, but might be a little bit misguided in certain areas without intentionally meaning to. Uh, And then there's individuals who might be pushing certain products to make money and they have seen people lose weight from certain, you know, uh, strict diets or pills or products. And they attribute that as everybody, they generalize as everybody should be able to benefit from these different products and, and diet styles. And while that's you know, it might be true for some people. It's not true for the masses, and it actually can be really dangerous. I feel like that's a good breakdown. I like how you put it into these categories. And I feel like a lot of these, especially 
what are they like multi-level marketing? Cause I guess we don't mm-hmm. say pyramid schemes anymore, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> I know I, I learned that the other day too, but I'm going to, I mean, come on. We're losing followers. Let's just, by the second. Let's just so. call a spade uh, a spade yikes. here. But <clears throat> I think that it's really tricky when you have people pushing supplements, which is actually like unethical, right? In the field of dietetics, we're not supposed to do that because we mm-hmm. we all as a profession believe food first. Um, and certainly mm-hmm. there's a place for supplements to supplement the diet. But I have, I think my biggest pet peeve in the diet industry is people pushing pills and powders as the answer over nutrition and exercise. And I do think a lot of that can be dangerous because so many of them have pr- 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 proprietary blends. I can't even say that word. And all these other things that we don't really know what is and isn't going to be in them, what is and isn't effective. And to me, it just does more harm than good. What are your diet pet peeves, like diet culture pet peeves? Anyone? I want to hear Ro, but he's got a smirk on his face. Oh, I don't, I don't, no, I don't. There's like too many. I guess I don't, I don't think I can just name one. You know what I mean? Uh, I, the, the main thing for me is, and I, I think we've talked about it early, uh, at a different podcast is like, I feel like working with you guys, knowing you guys, and then like me putting myself through like school and everything definitely makes me a bit of an elitist. Um, so like a pet peeve of mine is like someone who takes some sort of certification and is like, yeah, like I know just as much as those people. And it's like, Ooh, that's, it just hurts, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for someone who doesn't know, they're like, yeah, like this is my nutritionist. Like they know everything that they need to know because they're certified. Um, but, you know, they didn't take the uh, epidemiology classes and like the even like nutrition 101 classes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably my, my biggest pet, pet peeve is just that like super underqualified or unqualified people like putting themselves at the level of someone who has put in like the work, someone who's you know, really versed in stuff. And is anytime there's any pushback, it's like, well, you know, I'm a cheaper option or eating's not that hard to figure out and blah, blah, blah. And like, you're right. Eating and exercising is not that hard to figure out, but um, there's a lot of nuance to it and they can't answer it. So mm-hmm. that's probably my biggest pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. If- did Nicole want to say? <laughs> I can go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't care to go. I think just like Rose said, there's so much to it. But I think the biggest pet peeve for me is that like it really is feeding on our insecurities. And it's not really like caring about the individual as this multi-dimensional complicated person like you know there's not just this like oh lose 10 pounds and your life's gonna be awesome there's mm-hmm. so much more to like this layer of being human and like being on this journey to health so I think like you know when you think about diet culture and when you think about this industry I don't think that at the end of the day they care about people's well-being and their health and they really are just trying to make money and that is really frustrating to me because you know we all got into whatever profession we're in you know related to the healthcare world we all have our reasons but at the end of the day like I truly do hope that it's because you know we care about individuals and like those health goals that they have and we want to um just come with the right approach for that person to help them achieve those goals in the most sustainable way for them. 
And like you said in the beginning, Aaron, it's just this isn't like whatever you're selling isn't going to work for the masses and it's definitely not going to work long term. Exactly. Yeah, that's a valid point. And I think, too, is, you know, there there's a lot of gray area in nutrition and a lot of, you know, you'll hear all the time, more research needs to be done, more research needs to be done. And so it's tough because there's a lot of people that are putting stamps on different things as black and white as this is, you know, fact. And that's kind of where people need to be able to to differentiate the individuals who are trying to sell them things versus in sell them quick fixes or fad diets or fad products and those that are truly wanting to help them because they're, you know, they're able to say, you know, this might not be what you want to hear, but X, Y, and Z, you know, there's a lot more complicated uh, background to helping people reach their goals and personalization for long-term sustainability. So. I feel like we should define fad to, uh, it's like fad diet is a jargony term, I guess, that I tend to use a lot, but I want to hear uh, if you all share a similar belief. In my opinion, a fad diet is a diet that cuts out a whole food group. It's cutting out a whole macronutrient. It's some type of extreme measure that becomes this diet trend. Like to me, that's what a fad diet is. I don't know. I don't even think there's a real definition of it, but like that's what I, I truly think is also a problem because we're telling people this thing is bad. You're going to cut out this whole thing. You're going to restrict to this whole food group, this whole macronutrient. And that's the answer to all your problems. And it's so much more complicated than that. And I do think it can be quite frankly dangerous for some people, um, especially like eliminating carbohydrates in their entirety is very unhealthy for some people. And there's serious implications to that. Yet it's celebrated in this uh, weight loss industry, like this diet culture um, realm, and that's very irritating. Yeah, I think I think part of that has to do with the fact that um, it's like people tend to cling to extremes, and we see this in a lot of places in society. Uh, but you know, if I'm like, "Hey, stop eating this one thing, and you will, for a fact, lose like 10, 20 pounds," and it's it's celebrated by people who have done that as well. Um, which is its own problem for sure. But I, I think that that's why people are like, I'm willing to give up a big chunk of my life or something that I enjoy so that I can get what I think will make my life best uh, and my self-image better, which is like the loss of 10, 20 X amount of pounds. Um, but I, I mean, I, I would agree with the the description of what a fad diet is. Absolutely. Yeah, just something that's not like built to last because. It's just like, how long are you able to stick with the new fad diet until they come up with a new one and then you try that? You know, it's just nothing that ever is like consistent in your life. Right. And it seems at the time that it, this is popular because it truly helps the masses and people, you know, mm -hmm. that's what it's kind of what we say when we say buying into different fad diets, like, oh, wow, this is definitely going to work for me. It's worked for so many people. And then years later, we realize, oh, that loops back in with, you know, Atkins or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all recycled stuff. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. keto was Atkins was something else before that. Sure. Car carnivore now is, well, the, the best thing about carnivore is that it was created solely to be the antithesis of 
veganism, which I think is hysterical. Uh, <laughs> that someone was like, "Oh, you don't eat meat. I only eat meat." It's like, okay, <laughs> like, oh my god, you have to be a bro about everything. But you know, it's it is you're essentially cutting out carbs. You know, yeah. you're just only raw foods, whatever. But yeah, I actually had to let one of my clients go who specifically wanted me to help him with the carnivore diet. It was a, mm. it was tough because I was trying to, this is, was a learning process for me of realizing I, you know, there are ideal clients that you connect with and that you will specifically be able to help because my flexible nutrition philosophy is not aligned with everybody and that's okay. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain more about your flexible nutrition philosophy? Yes. Sure. Yeah. So I feel like with flexible nutrition, it sometimes is misunderstood because people think that, you know, the flexibility that can come with, with nutrition of, you know, you know, any food could potentially fit in with your, within your macros and calorie needs could mean that you eat muffins or cake all day long. And while, you know, Hey, that really could be the case, but truly what, what ends up happening for someone that does that is they realize, wow, okay, this doesn't make me feel good, you know? So I help people to eat foods that make them feel good in the moment. Maybe it's more soul food or foods that aren't, you know, highly touted on the food pyramid or my plate or whatnot. But, um, there are foods that can fit within their uh, macros and calorie needs while putting the priority and emphasis on the foods that um, will have more nutrients in them and will make them feel good in the long run and will align with, you know, their, their energy needs, their sleep needs, the different, you know, biomarkers. Um, so I tend to focus on those things and focus on um, ways to help them meet their goals through being a little more flexible with themselves. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so great because I, I was telling Brooke and Nicole that when I was in NOLA, I was like, you know, I could have had all this awesome food, but I didn't because it didn't fit my macros. And like, it was just like really sad. And Brooke was kind of like, uh, this is not okay. And I was like, yeah, F that. I'm just kidding. I had like crab cakes. I had like this, I had this linguine that was like alligator and shrimp, like just shit I don't normally eat, but it was right. awesome. Uh, so I can't imagine just being like, do you guys have a boneless, skinless chicken breast? <laughs> no? Okay, cool. Sweet. Let me go somewhere else. Like, you got to have that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I agree with the philosophy. And yeah. then it's more sustainable too, like what you hit on sure. earlier. Yeah. And I think there are times too where I definitely encourage people to uh, not track or to, you know, maybe not go within their macronutrient ranges because it, it's important to, for them to do at the time to taking to, to take breaks from certain things they know in the long run will, of course, help them to, to, you know, meet their goals maybe sooner, but it's not what they need in that moment. So I, I encourage a lot of mindfulness and understanding where they are in their journey and, you know, resetting sometimes and that's okay. So that's why long-term assistance sometimes is a better choice for a lot of people. Yeah. Nicole, you wrote, you wrote a lot of really awesome notes here about, um, I think something that is important to bring up that I want to talk about since there's three RDNs on this podcast. Sick. Thanks. <laughs> three RDNs and a meathead uh, should have been the, the podcast. It's kind <laughs> of like, in your opinion, I'm sure actually, Ro, this, you can relate to this in some ways. When you went into the field of health and nutrition, when you went in, did you have different opinions and then versus being in school and then afterwards, like did your perception, I guess, of the importance of things like weight change throughout that process? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, because 
you know, as dietitians now, like it doesn't mean that we were disqualified from ever being a part of diet culture or like feeding into or like believing these lies or whatnot. And so, you know, I definitely had like my past with dieting and wanting to lose weight and like getting into nutrition and exercise in my own way. And I literally like found everything out through Google <laughs> in like high school. <laughs> so, you Jello know, when I, diet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I decided to go into college and like picked my major as nutrition, it was because I wanted to learn like every single thing there was to know about nutrition and like quote unquote health and like just how to like keep this thin ideal body. Like I was like, Oh, I'm going to get a degree in nutrition. and My life is just gonna be so easy. <laughs> um, and that was not it. So I think like going into it, obviously like I really wanted to just know all there was to know and honestly, like from probably my own benefit. And then I was just going to like help all these other people also know all the things about nutrition and how to lose weight and how to be skinny. <laughs> and so, I mean, my, my viewpoints have definitely changed because, um, I just personally like believe that all like bodies deserve to have like that respect and that, um, support when it comes to health journeys and it's not all about you know just weight loss or always being on track with like your macros or whatever it is that your goal is but really just trying to like focus more on like positive health behaviors what's more sustainable for you and your lifestyle and it's taken a lot of years obviously to get to that point with my own self um so I think, yeah, I'm, it's just a very fluid process, I think, when it comes to nutrition and what we thought going into this profession. There's a lot of things you learn along the way that you realize, uh, okay, maybe that's not the, the right answer or approach. And then you just shift your focus and um, always trying to do like the next right thing, I guess. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think from the, um, I gotta stop coughing under the mic I, uh, <laughs> for the, for the exercise stuff. I mean, I, I was brought up in, uh, I guess you could call it like bodybuilding culture, right? Where you start exercising as a 17, 18 year old male just to get like huge. And you're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be veined out. I'm going to have highways on my forearms and like, you know, <laughs> and all I need is this creatine and, and, uh, protein powder that Kai green uses. Um, <laughs> And so, it, you know, it, it's definitely changed because even when I first started training, one of my first clients, uh, his name was Luis, and he was like this ex-Navy guy, and he was like a tiny, I don't want to say frail, he was just a tiny guy. And uh, I remember making him throw up like the second time we trained, <laughs> and I was God. like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm a good trainer, right? Because <laughs> that's like, that's what you're taught. Like, you have to go hard every time, otherwise, like you're not worth your, your money and all this stuff. And that's, that's been the biggest thing is that, well, first of all, my back broke. So I had to learn <laughs> the hard way. Uh, but it, it was a huge thing of being like, like rest is, is much more necessary than just like going hard. Um, you have to understand that like having an A plus day and then C minus days the rest of the week because of that is worse than just having like maybe B plus days all throughout the week um and so like you know being able to modulate intensity and volume was like the the biggest thing that i learned uh and then also just being like you know you can only eat 
white rice or oh sorry brown rice the only brown rice because it was magical for some reason uh and then chicken and i told you guys uh that i would put like slices of cheese on my chicken just to make it taste good and i'd have like a three pound bag but like that's that i don't ever like talk about i don't preach it like it's not sustainable i only did it for like two years which is a really long time um but like i didn't like i looked great it felt good but like I was in a bad place mentally and like emotionally. So it's just like not good. Um, so it's, it's much more about like lifestyle stuff. Um, you know, training people to be better at like their jobs. Like we have firefighters, uh, that we train and stuff. Like you have to be able to do stuff and, and enjoy life outside of the gym. Um, but that's probably the, the biggest difference that's come about in the almost decade that I've been training people. So growth is good. <laughs> For sure. Definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the things you said that, you know, resonates with me and in, in kind of my journey is, is kind of that backing down from what your expectations are of that extreme of that, you know, being B plus consistently actually can help you to meet your goals and that sustainability aspect of things you don't realize until later and in, into, into practicing. Yeah. Until you're just like dead in your bed and you're like, why do I always feel like, like yeah. crap? And it's like, oh, it's because I'm trying to PR every time I'm like, it's really good for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I think the biggest thing that changed for me is similar to Nicole is like when I went into studying nutrition, I thought that aesthetics were the best indicator of health and by manipulating the way the body could look was showing real progress and making health like meeting health goals and that has changed so so much for me personally and my perspective is really more about how does your body feel the looks will follow if you're truly chasing what feels good everything else will align and fall into place and there's no need to hyper focus on the looks of things so I think that was like my biggest change of kind of where where I'm at from starting studying nutrition to now a practitioner and being in the field and studying it for so long. Yeah, and I think that's just like a, such a huge like testament to what diet culture tells us. If like the fact that so many of us believe like the outer appearance of a person is the biggest determinant of how healthy they are. That's honestly insane to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one, one thing is uh, that, you know, people that are at, you know, a higher body weight are always unhealthier than those that are leaner. I think that's a big one. Um, mm -hmm. Understanding that you could be, you know, making all kinds of good lifestyle choices and, you know, exercising correctly for what your body needs and eating properly for what your body needs and sleeping well and your digestive system is great and everything, but you might be in a larger body and people think you still have to, you got to do so much more because mm -hmm. you are in a larger body and that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah no, one thing for, it's like, uh, my parents, you know, they, they're like, ah, we're like, we like to eat, we're healthy, whatever. Um, and the doctor always be like, hey, you know, like you should lose some weight, but like their blood markers are always really great. Like their heart is very healthy. Yes. My dad like is just now starting to get some like hypertension, but the dude's 55. So at some point he's just all the stress that of having to deal with it's me. It's 2020. Like, yeah, also 2020 <laughs> for sure. But like, yeah, definitely. Like anyone who maybe is like super fit at their age or even like our age, 
could be like, oh yeah, they could they could work on themselves, but they're strong and healthy and have great genes, so they're chilling. Right. Yeah, the genetics component is such a big deal and something that's not discussed enough. Like when you look at the CDC or even with the UK, like I think it's the NHS, you know, they they discuss all of the different factors that contribute to obesity, but they really don't touch on uh, the multitude of genes that predispose people to to obesity, to develop obesity. Um, and, you know, to throw a, a fact out there, 43% of the population has the FDO gene, which is the fat mass and obesity associated genes. And that's, that's huge that, you know, can increase hunger levels and increase caloric intake and reduce satiety. So it can reduce control around eating. So then that's, you know, something that's just not discussed. And so everyone's like, oh, the behavioral part, you know, people aren't doing enough. And that's just like, I feel like just one piece of the potential puzzle. So it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of, kind of going off of that, uh, I learned that if you are like a C-section baby, as opposed to a, a normal baby, just kidding. Uh, like you are <laughs> naturally birthed, uh, your gut microbiome, like changes as well that just from the process of either being taken out or like birth i don't is there like a better way to say that i don't know i'm just kind of no, like that's good. no that's natural birth <laughs> when you right? rip a baby okay no i don't know uh, this is why i'm not a real doctor anyway um yeah so like that that itself can like change the gut microbiome and you know there's different strains that can cause uh, from what we know now, I know it's relatively new, but that can that can affect um, hunger hormones and that can affect the way that you um, digest different things. And that's just because like of something way out of your control. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I think that that's a, a huge thing as well. well. Totally. And another genetic piece is the tendency to store body fat. So that's like another yes. thing not really discussed in different genes. Yeah. And then also where, you know? Yeah. The body composition distribution for sure. I feel like yeah. people ask all the time, how do I get rid of belly fat? I'm like, we don't get to dictate that. You don't understand. <laughs> your your body dictates that. You just got to do 100 crunches a day. Easy. I guarantee you there's <laughs> a Pinterest workout for that. There's definitely like a Pinterest workout for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Seven <laughs> yoga tips and moves to lose body fat. I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> No, it's not that. It's the band. It's the belly band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You need the sweet sweat, okay? Oh, uh, God. You need your strap. Yeah. <laughs> Get the strap. Yeah, different, <laughs> different meanings in 2020. Oh, God. So I want to know, uh, hear everyone's perspective. In your opinion, do you think weight loss is a healthy goal? If a client comes to you and says, I want to lose weight, what is your response? So I can go first. Um, go for it. So I feel like as a weight loss dietitian, I'm not just assuming people in larger bodies should lose weight. You know, I help people who reach out to me or refer to me for specifically weight loss, and then we can dive deeper. Um, but I think one of the first things I do, aside from asking, how's your day going? And, you know, first things first, um, just kind of learning about the person as a person. Um, when I ask them about their goal being weight loss, I ask why. And I think, you know, Brooke, I think you wanted to touch on the why a little bit later. But I think that's that's my answer here is I think weight loss can be a healthy goal depending on the person's why. I think if a person wants to do it for um, for themselves, for feeling more comfortable, feeling you know for you know health outcomes, improving biomarkers, you know 
ease of getting around, hiking with their family easier, things of that nature, um, you know, reduction in blood pressure, you know, there's, there's things that they could, um, that could be a tool, you know, but I think a lot of people want to lose weight for other people. They feel like people are judging them and, you know, they feel like, you know, based on what other people's people portray them as, they want to fix that. And I think that's when people can get into trouble. Um, you know, in no way am I saying that that's not, you know, part of it for a lot of people is the way they look and the way other people perceive them as, um, that can be part of it. And I think people would be lying if they didn't say that that was a small piece and they care what people think. But if that's, if that's their primary reason or the only reason, um, you know, if they were to take the social pressures out of the equation, would they actually be happier being more neutral about their weight and actually were actually loving their body the way it is at the, you know, at that specific time in, in the, you know, a larger body with their, with them, what they're envisioning for themselves. Um, you know, while making some, you know, healthy lifestyle choices, regardless of weight, you know, I think that'd be different. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what Aaron said of just like identifying that why, because I mean, I think we can all agree, like you said, that societal pressure, you know, when it comes to our bodies, it is much easier to live in this world in a thin body. You're mm -hmm. going to be heard, you're going to be seen, you're going to, like, people are going to believe you when you say, hey, I have joint pain, can you help me with that? And they're not going to immediately say, lose weight. You're going to be able to get on a plane and the seatbelt's going to buckle just fine. You're going to be able to go to a restaurant and fit into the booth that they seat you in, whatever it is. Being in a thinner body is easier. So mm -hmm. I completely understand why clients would want that to be their goal. But like you said, like identifying that why, that's going to help us like determine what really is the best way to get you to your goals, what is going to make you happy, what is going to be sustainable, what are you going to enjoy? And I think as healthcare professionals, we know that there's multiple ways to approach these goals. And if we only approach these goals with the like primary goal of weight loss, then I think we're just like missing so many more important aspects when it comes sure. to building a healthy and sustainable life. Right. I feel like I might not be it might be a bad thing I'm saying this, but I think a lot of times when people come to me wanting to lose weight, you know, that's something that I say that could be, you know, something that I can help you with. But sometimes down the line, we realize, you know, this might not be what's best for you. And, you know, knowing that that's a risk with working with someone who's going to tell it like it is and what, you know, happiness is key, you know, and that's part of, you know, what I yeah, kind of have to assess and reassess. Yeah, but I, Aaron, you also said that like, you learned recently, right? What your ideal client is like, right? Cause there are some people that are like, Nope, I just want this. Mm -hmm. And from there you have to decide whether you're like, okay, maybe I can try and change your mind down the line. Or you're like, uh, this is not for me then, you know, right. I, yeah, with, I wish things could have worked, but. Right. With me. that one specific uh, client of mine that I was chatting about, you know, at the beginning, I was like, is this something that you could try out? And he was like, yeah, sure. So we tried it out flexible eating. And I was, you know, encouraging, you know, including beans and whole grains and, you know, carbs. And he was like, wait a minute, no, 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 carbs are not good for you. And he was just so far gone in that <laughs> yeah. realm of reality that it was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't save him from that. No you know? saving, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I think when uh, you guys all, I agree with everything everyone said, 
I do think that when people come to me with a goal of weight loss, 10 times out of 10, it's not really about the weight. It's about, I want to feel confident in my wedding dress. I want to feel like I have insert reason X, Y, or Z. And they just Mm -hmm. associate that thing with weight loss. Like weight loss is the answer. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. So like, for example, I have a client with sleep apnea and so a little bit of weight loss would make a difference and not having to use a CPAP and all these other things. And sometimes it is a legitimate, in my opinion, a legitimate goal that could help someone. But I do think it's important to assess the underlying why to see what other behavior changes need to happen. And if they're in the right mindset to lose weight or if they have the right to even go into a calorie deficit to lose weight. I feel like you have to earn that right. If you have been depriving your body of fuel and nourishment for a really long time, I don't think that you should be trying to lose weight. I think you should be reassessing, getting in check with your body and your hunger cues and your baseline. So I think that that's the biggest thing as professionals is being able to assess, like, I hear what they're saying that they need, but what do they really need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the tough part. (laughs) And I think from like the the exercise standpoint, it's like uh, a new trainer or someone who is like unaware that volume eventually like tears someone down is like, you want to get fit? all right, we're going to have five days of high intensity interval training and, you know, one rest day and then two cardio days. And like, they make this super convoluted program when all it has to be is like, all right, three times a week, we're going to get you to walk a little bit at first. Cause you haven't done anything two times a week. We're going to institute some sort of strength training program. We'll reassess in a month. Like that's it. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you are trying to crush someone right away, those lifestyle changes don't happen. They end up feeling worse. They end up stop exercising. They go to the influencer or the nutritionist who's like, I have the answer. It's this pill or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, exercise and, and nutrition, like it's all kind of the same game where they have to be small steps and they have to be calculated steps and not just, you know, trial by fire. Like That is going to work maybe 5% of the time. And those people are going to have like, really great results, but they're going to be, you know, mentally or maybe even hormonally messed up because they just kind of went off the deep end. Right. You got to know your risks. (laughs) It's so unsexy to say, uh, the secret is hard work, consistency and baby steps. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what the (laughs) fuck? I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. (laughs) Where's my 20 pound weight loss in 30 days? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Bulgarian split squat program and then uh, a, a juice cleanse and man, you're gonna look great in 30 days. I'm trying days. to get that Kardashian booty in yeah. 10 days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Team small butt. Remember, never forget. So. Oh, that's great. All right, I have another question for the group. Do you all think that in order to be healthy, this idea that we need to lose weight? is true or false. I think that's a common narrative, especially you hear reinforced by doctors of like, oh, if you just lose five to 10 pounds, this will improve. What are our opinions or do you guys have any like stories around that? Well, I think, you know, in the healthcare field, I feel like it's really common for providers to, I mean, you kind of talked about it earlier, Brooke, that, you know, we, we need to ask if someone wants to lose weight. You know, I think that's, 
it's the the two number the number two like things I think that as healthcare providers we could improve is you know asking if someone wants to lose weight and number two exploring um, the other health markers that could be addressed first aside from weight. So you know I, I think to answer your question in many case instances no you know someone might not need to lose weight to be healthy if someone's leading a healthy life symptom free if they they're you know you know as Rose said you know their labs are completely fine and they you know aren't there's no familial history of impending disease states that they're, you know, to their knowledge that they're trying to kind of work to prevent. If they're happy, you know, all of those things, I think you can, in a larger body, you can um, be healthy. So I don't know. I think to address the first thing, I think if, if, if doctors were to ask, you know, individuals if they wanted to lose weight before jumping to ways to lose weight or asking, have you tried to lose weight? And just those assumptions, I feel like come so quickly. Um, and then, you know, next address, you know, the, the different biomarkers and dig deep into certain questions aside from how are you feeling lately? You know, I think that's kind of the only question aside from looking at their numbers that they ask versus, you know, asking about their energy levels, mood, digestive symptoms, not to bash doctors, but <laughs> that's kind of what, I mean, I guess my bias is what I've experienced in doctor's offices. No, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, it's the difference between being a like a medical doctor and then like an R, RDN or yeah. someone who practices exercise as a prescription or whatever. Um, but I think it is interesting because um, asking someone if they want to lose weight is something that from a from a doctor standpoint, like I've never heard a doctor ask anyone in my family that they're kind of just like, yeah, you need to you need to lose weight. Um, and again, parents are healthy. We're all pretty healthy. Um, but I, I do also understand because, you know, if you have someone who is, um, what is it, like obesity 2 or type 2 obesity, since we don't use like morbidly obese anymore, um, like at some point it's like, yes, it, it, it makes sense. You want to ask them if they're happy, if they're healthy, if things are going well. Um, but I think it's so much easier for a doctor to just look at the script and be like, you've lost 10 pounds this like you are doing better right like they don't have to run blood work they don't have to spend 30 minutes in there asking about how things are going it's just like on paper you're good cool um but it's also you know uh i this is kind of switching gears but like i i remember having a conversation uh with someone in the class and they were like one of the things you can do is is ask someone who has obesity um if they want to be weighed that day, like in a doctor's office mm. and the person, you know, in the simulation, or whatever, was like, Oh no, I'm good. Thank you. And the doctor was like, okay, cool. Um, and like, at what point are you supposed to be like, I, I respect you. Like I, res I get it. Absolutely. And Hey, as a, as a doctor or as a scientist, like I need to know this to make sure that like everything is going well. Um, like I'm, I'm wondering what your, perspective is as someone who's like an RDN to be like, hey, we need this, like, so that down the road, we can like, change things up. And let's make sure that you're good, mentally and emotionally for this one doctor's visit, things like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, I agree. <laughs> that I think, I think it is a good thing to, to question, you know, at what point, because I and I do agree that doctors, they do kind of want to have that client in and out 
quickly just because they have a lot of different patients to, to see. Um, but I do think, you know, with addressing the other aspects of their health, um, it might not be their, their, their weight, depending on, you know, what they have on, based on their labs, depending on all these different uh, markers, they might not need to lose the weight. So I think just not jumping to that conclusion, unless there are, like, like Brooke said, with sleep apnea, or um, if they've, if, if they've, they've tried, they've exhausted these different options of um, exercise and, and healthy eating, but their blood pressure is still not budging and their, their cholesterol is still not budging. Those are things that I feel like, you know, the weight component is part of it, but it's not the number one thing to jump to right away. Right. So I think that that's where it gets tough. I'm a numbers and data girl. And so I like having that information purely to like run calculations and understand if I could have every client do a DEXA, I would. And that's purely because of my science mind. And I do understand and respect that that might not be the healthiest thing for everyone to get on a scale. And it's interesting that was a discussion in your class row. I've never had a doctor ask or like a nurse, if I did or didn't want to be weighed, I've Never. only had them they're ask, like, get on the scale. Yeah, they're like, okay, get on here. Do you, do you on, want Toby. to know or not? Like you can turn around and yeah. not know, and I'm going to still get this information or which I was, you know, which is, I'm cool with that option. It was like, do you want to know or not? Cause like I can privately write it down for doctor records and we don't need to tell you and it doesn't matter. So I thought like that was like a good happy medium. Um, I don't know, I guess like way to go about things. I think I like that more because then it's it's that the doctor's getting what they're getting and it's not affecting that person that day. Right? Because mm -hmm. we've talked about how some people have horrible relationships with the scale. And even if they see something that, you know, it's like a pound up when they thought they've been like crushing it the past week or whatever, uh, they're just like, well, it's time to get bariatric surgery because none of this is working. Um so yeah, I, I think that that's probably a way that things could be switched in a more um, human, I guess, way, because then you can get the, both, the best of both worlds there. Well, I never thought of that. I do think it's a good idea to, um, and I know Nicole, Aaron, and I all do this, but when you are working with someone and you choose maybe to not track weight or to track weight as a marker, but you should also be checking other biomarkers like energy, mood, sleep, stress, even sex drive to give you indicators of how things are and aren't going. Because if someone's like, oh shit, why did I go up a pound? And you're like, whoa, 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 energy's better. Athletic performance is better. You're clearly fueling your body correctly and feel better. Let's not freak out about one pound of mass, right? Like you're doing yeah. better. Yeah, like you're waking up with erections normally. <laughs> good, good. And I don't mean that as a joke, right? Like it's that's true, a, that's a, yeah. obviously you're not you're not going to be like, hey, Dave, just wondering what your boners are like. But like it, it is something that like you, you can talk about so that so that a male can be like, oh yeah, like I do feel better. Like I've had my red meats. I'm active. Like I'm sleeping well. Like this is a clear sign that the, things are going well. Um, but yeah, maybe don't do it as, as crass as, as that. Yeah, next podcast, I'm like, I was actually sued for sexual harassment. <laughs> you're like, step one, how are you doing? Step two, what are your boners like? Uh, and you're fired. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that that's, that's um, really good. And, and I know that for, for my clients, um, because we use a Train Heroic app, every time they work out, it's like we're checking out sleep, mood, energy, soreness, uh, and then like mental stress. Um, and so I get to see daily, 
what things are like and then weekly and monthly like i can toy around with all that how do you all as dietitians like get those bowel markers because it's it's really fancy to say like oh we can check with their bowel markers but you're not like taking their blood right you're not like sending me samples every month and i'll centrifuge it and we're good uh but like what are you what are you asking them how are you tracking that just so that people have a better idea of maybe things that they can do themselves um, instead of just being like, I think I'm sleeping better. Like, I think I'm feeling more energized. Like what is more energy in a quantitative way? So I use um, a scale one to 10. I know some people use scale one to five or some people have different scales or ways of tracking in general. I think, you know, as dietitians, we might all do things slightly differently. Um, but the, when you mention kind of your ways of checking in with your clients, my way is the day before I'll send them an email. The day before our meeting, I'll send them an email and say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, uh, one being poor or low, um, poor and low kind of being synonymous and then 10 being excellent or high. And it is very variable, right? And so I sometimes have clients come to me and ask me like, well, my stress was like, it fluctuated, you know? So, but, um, but energy, mood, sleep, hunger, and stress are the markers that I measure. And I put that in an email so that way they can write it down. And I think that's helpful just so they can kind of put it in words and think about it a little bit versus putting them on the spot. And I think I am going to add in the sex drive book. That's <laughs> yeah, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely should. Yeah. Well, it's important, especially when people, I have clients who are going into a calorie deficit because I'm like, okay, their hunger's up, their sex drive is down, energy's down. I immediately know we're in too far of a calorie deficit. Something's off here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just fine. And then, and then for True. for me, if if someone is working too hard, like volume is going to take energy. And so, like, yeah, maybe you're getting a little stronger, but if volume is is up, you're consistently in the red when it comes to how you felt that workout, whether it was like hard plus, like super hard. And then you're like, man, like I I would I love my my significant other, but I just like have not had the ability to do anything, and everything else is good. You look at their volume and maybe they're 10,000 pounds higher than they were the past two weeks. Like, all right, it's time to scale back. Like, let's figure out where your happy medium is to where you can have these gains. And you're not just like sitting on your couch, like, I don't want to do anything um, sexual or not, but just like in general. Well, yeah. it's a great I, question. I think sometimes it's, it's, it's nice that, you know, my clients will ask me in the session like a little bit more because then that helps us to dive deeper. It's like, well, you know, this was, you know, let's say mood, you know, my mood was, was great here, but it wasn't great here. I'm like, okay, why was your mood? Why, why were you feeling so sour at that point? And it's like, oh, because I ate a cookie and whatever, you know, so we're able to kind of dive deeper and, and discuss things a little bit more as to what they're feeling and experiencing and, you know, what they're, where they are, they're at in the journey of, meeting their goals. Yeah. Imagine eating a cookie being a mood killer. I'm like, yeah. twang, twang, twang. <laughs> you know, every time I'm eating an Oreo. Marvin Gaye start playing as I crush this sleeve. It's good. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so we kind of, we kind of went through like that we agree under certain terms and depending on the why it can be a healthy goal for someone to lose weight. So I want to know in your professional opinion, is there a right and wrong way to lose weight? Do you want me to start that one out? (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes, I definitely think there's a right and a wrong way to lose weight. We touched about this. We touched on this at the beginning um, that, you know, the wrong way with, with a lot of the 
strict dieting and, and people pushing certain products on people. I think the wrong way is to make um, all kinds of changes, lifestyle behavior changes all at once and overwhelming yourself, which tends to come with those different, you know, bad diets and different, you know, uh, quick fixes and things of that nature. Um, and people realize and oftentimes, unfortunately, learn the hard way, right? And then they end up you know, at one of our doorsteps being like, well, I really need to make this sustainable. And I've been yo-yo dieting for so long. And it's because they try to take on too, too much too soon. And then weight bias and, and specific societal pressures creep in and they feel like I'm too lazy or I'm too this, or I can't, there's no way I can lose weight. And then they feel guilt and shame and sadness and anger. Then they, you know, have a certain binge or they feel like they, you know, they, it's a, basically a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And then they end up feeling like, these foods have to be the reason versus it's my mentality and the psychological components of things. Uh, but yeah, I would say the right way would be one behavior at a time, <laughs> the less sexy ways of uh, losing weight, um, addressing the psychological piece of weight loss, though, the, the guilt cycle that, um, you know, that I referred to. But I think, you know, if, if people are able to, um, to take things one step at a time and, and address different, different parts of um, what could be holding them back, um, you know, starting with the mental piece and then moving to some of the, the potential behavior changes, um, you know, that's, that's the best way to lose weight. I love it. I truly think the best way, um, we have a tendency to think we need to force ourselves and our life into this perfect nutrition box. And I think it should be the other way around in that we are picking something that makes sense and is sustainable and make it fit into our life because that should be the priority is living a life not forcing some weird nutrition protocol. Um, and that's really in every case, uh, what I think is going to be the best. So like for your carnivore client example, if that's truly the eating pattern he loves and wants to do for the rest of his life, he's definitely not the client for you, but then that's, that's what he should do. If like, that's what he, that's his, his life and soul is like, just meat forever, you know, fuck vegetables that, you know, I don't agree with that, but if that's what he truly wants to do, like do it. I, you know, yeah. like that's really the best way to do it. Heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, yeah, we, I think it's a lot easier to like shit on diet culture, but it's almost the same thing as someone saying like, Hey, I'm going to play basketball instead of football. Like, let me find a coach who is a basketball coach and not a football coach. Right. Because it's like, this is something that I love, what I can fit my life into, whatever. Like, it doesn't make sense for, me to work with a coach who's like i don't know shit about that but like let's try and make it work like no it doesn't doesn't make sense so finding someone who is going to be able to navigate carnivore and also the specific biomarkers and and everything like if like brooke said if you can do that awesome probably can't for the rest of your life we're just being honest um but you know there's always people trying to make money somehow. So yeah, that's the issue is, you know, having them figure out ways that are, are healthy to navigate that it's tough. You know, we don't want them to end up in, in, in a situation of, you know, unhealthy cycling of, of binging and then not and feeling it's like it's their fault and all of that. So that's the tough part about letting the client go, but I know, you know. it's, but it's true. There's like, there's a definitely a negative cycle. And I think like my goal as a dietitian is like, I want to break that. And so you don't have to keep doing the cycle of restriction, binge, restriction, binge, um, all these different diets and it doesn't work. Um, and I think like the goal is like, let's break that and truly just find 
a way for you to sustainably live so you can stop wasting all this time, energy, and brain power on what you're eating and just freaking love your life and enjoy it. Right. Right. Yeah. Happiness first. You, yeah. Be able to have crab cakes and no <laughs> come on. So we kind of yeah, we talked we touched on um the term weight bias earlier. And I kind of wanted to dive into that a little more. And I know recently, Aaron, you went um, you I guess you virtually attended Fency, and this was a big topic of conversation. So can you just share a little bit about what weight bias is and you know how pre- the prevalence in healthcare? Yeah. So you had mentioned behind the scenes, the definition from the Obesity Action Coalition, and that's kind of the same as to what Fancy had uh, defined it as, as being uh, weight bias is negative attitudes, beliefs, judgments, stereotypes, and discriminatory acts aimed at individuals simply because of their weight. Uh, it can be overt or subtle um, or, you know, outward or internal, like they kind of, you know, refer to it as uh intrinsic or extrinsic uh, bias. And, you know, it's, it's something that can be, you know, it can occur in any setting, including employment, healthcare, education, mass media, and relationships with friends and family. So um, it's taken on in many forms. And with Fancy, you know, these specific dietitians that spoke have uh, done a lot of research behind the scenes on um, the bias that can occur in the medical field specifically because they found that was the main area that uh, weight bias is found in, you know, doctors, you know, medical students, dietitians, pharmacists. I just had a conversation with my fiance who's a pharmacist and oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, that, you know, whether it's subconscious or conscious uh, bias that can occur. And, you know, we had to have a a tough conversation actually on our drive home from Asheville this weekend. But anyways, uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed watching this talk in Fancy because, um, you know, they, it reaffirmed what we as dietitians know that, you know, the genetic uh, component is the dominant role in obesity. Um, I mentioned to you, Brooke, the last time we chatted that the heritability is 70%. And this is not to say that in the, you know, the um, behavioral stuff doesn't matter, that the environment, you know, doesn't matter. And actually, um, the environment and the social piece is also, uh, you know, it makes a difference given that a lot of minorities are obese and that, you know, where they, people live and their um, financial capabilities play, play a big role. Um, but also the uh, pathophysiology of, you know, some different comorbidities like uh diabetes or your um, blood pressure being high or your high cholesterol, people think, okay, it has to be weight causing those, but is it the, is it the opposite or are medications playing a role? You know, people don't talk about that um, component as much. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of different studies that were discussed in the fancy um, conversation. So we can go into those if uh, if you guys want to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so much of it is like, uh, it's almost like a nature versus nurture uh, type of argument, right? Like, obviously, if you have uh, the genes stacked against you, it's going to be much more difficult. But if you have the genes stacked against you, and you are of high socioeconomic status, and every mm-hmm. your neighborhood has sidewalks, and um, you can afford a gym membership, and you can afford a nutritionist and all this stuff, like, yeah, your chances of being healthier and thinner and whatever it is you're looking at are much higher than someone who even has a better genetic blueprint than you do, but they live in food deserts. 
their neighborhood is not safe outside, so they can't go for like night and daily walks, and you know they can't uh, afford a gym membership. Like, yeah, ten ten bucks a month at Planet Fitness is not it's it's super cheap, but there is no Planet Fitness, and if mm-hmm. there is, then you have to take public transport, and it's like a four hour ordeal. So, you know, there's so many things that when it comes to uh, people outright being like, oh, it's your choice to to be fat and your choice to not be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, kind of, maybe, you know? Um, and it's definitely like, we're, we're going to get into it for sure. I definitely have plenty of uh, weight bias uh, instilled in me as someone who was like a former fat kid and was like, oh yeah, like it's easy. You know, you just stick with it for a couple of years. But I also have never like gone hungry in my life like I've never been like when is my next meal and I've always had the ability to do a bunch of stuff so right. um definitely have to check myself plenty um but those are conversations that are like hard to have but it's also like a, a huge piece of the puzzle like 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 right. you just talked about yeah and I think that's kind of where a lot of us as health professionals are doing better with explicit bias or that conscious bias versus the implicit bias and I think that's where we kind of have to really dig deep and and have that empathy and understanding and do the, do the research and, you know, figure out ways to, to learn and relearn. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I, in that, in that class that I'm in, uh, we had like a module cause everything's online, um, on like weight bias. And one of the things that really struck me that I was like, ah, oh, I, I never even realized that was a thing. Um, is using like person first language. So being like, you are a person with obesity as opposed to being an obese person. Um, because when you say like you're an obese person, the the first thing you're looking at is not that they're a person, but it's like, this is a condition you have. Like the first thing I'm seeing is that you are fat or fatter than me or fatter than what society deems as healthy. And that person is like, oh, oh, that's what you think of me? Yeah. Um, and I don't remember where where I this was like years ago. I saw it, uh, something that inspired someone's health loss journey or, or health loss <laughs> uh, weight loss journey or whatever it was uh, was that somebody they knew passed away and the coroner was like, "Yeah, we have like a morbidly obese person." And this person was like, "Oh my god! Like when I die, is that how I'm going to be described? Like just I, I'm just a morbidly obese person and not." someone who has a family, someone who owns a business, someone who is a person is like, wow. this is just a fat body. Um, and it's like, not anything I ever thought about until the module. And I was like, Ooh, all right. It, Cause it doesn't change in my mind. You know what I mean? But if someone is this being described that way, like that can really mess them up mentally whether like they know it or not, or whether we know it or not. So. Right. And I mean, with weight bias, it's not just, it doesn't just start with changes in the medical field, but also, you know, everyone can recognize the harm that weight bias and stigma has on individuals. So, you know, and, and currently with COVID, it's COVID's making things worse. You know, the virus has highlighted and exacerbated the, you know, the issue. So I think people, one, one point that was made is that um, people view those who are of higher weight to be kind of weighing us all down as a society because they're more at risk for getting a COVID. It's insane. It's just that, that people, you know, internalize that stuff. Yeah. I, I, it's one of those things like, yes, objectively, if you are like a higher weight and you have more comorbidities, you are going to be 
like a strain on the medical system, but that is also like so hard to tell someone like you're the reason my insurance premiums are high. Like, okay, (laughs) cool, man. Like that, I don't know. It's like, and it's definitely things that I've thought before, like I'm being honest. Um, But when you think about like the the humanity of it all, it's like, it's really messed up to, Mm -hmm. to think that. Um, I do respect the honesty as always, Ro. I think, uh, you know, always entertaining. And I (laughs) I appreciate that you're willing to share your honest opinion. Uh, But I, I do think it's like, not just doctors sometimes that we say have poor bedside manner, but it's like all health professionals because we do have this strong science background where we're like numbers and data and the correlation. And, but we forget like, we're just, we're just all humans at the end of the day and how you say things to someone and how you communicate that makes all the difference. Cause you could still communicate like, Hey, this virus going around, you know, you're at a higher risk, you can still communicate that in like a much kinder way than like what's being portrayed, I think, in media and how other people are like speaking about it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like we we were just on a flight and the two flights we took on the way back here to Albuquerque was they were like the four seaters and they were like very small planes. And I sat next to Casey and I was like, you know, we were both like, man, really glad we're not sitting next to like someone who's like bigger, right? Uh, Just from a comfortable standpoint, right? It's like, obviously uncomfortable if for three hours, I'm kind of like, oh, trying to just be in my own space. Uh, But that's like something that I don't have to worry about, right? Like something that we generally don't have to worry about. But if someone who is, you know, much bigger, then it's like, do they pay for an extra seat? Do they blah, blah, blah. And it's like all these things. And like, at what point is it like, hey, like we understand you're healthy and everything, but like you are really making my flight uncomfortable. Mm. Like, and, and and at that point, I think it's like when, and if you have like a super shitty flight, right? Then your bias becomes worse just naturally because you're like, if this fat person wasn't for there, sure. like I would have been better. I would have been a better two hours. Now my back hurts or whatever, but those are things that like they just happen in in society like right. kind of naturally. Well, this is something they call they would refer to as like thin privilege. Like the the experience you're describing row is you have a certain body and you don't know what it's like to experience certain things and you're describing an inconvenience that you might experience um I don't know. Nicole can probably explain it way better than me. I think like what you have to like remember, Ro, is that like that two hour flight might have like it would have inconvenienced you for two hours. But think about that person who feels like an an inconvenience 24 seven all the time because the world is not set up for them. It's not set up for them to just live and be respected and go through life as easy as we can. Yeah. No, I think that that's that's a beautiful point to be made and and you know it's it's one of those things where um you're right like it's easy for for me to say like oh this flight sucked but like you said like if they're like my whole life sucks then it's like okay perspective is a pretty good thing to to have at this point um but yeah i mean those are definitely hard conversations to have though yeah uh, and i think they're trying in the the healthcare field and this was one thing that was discussed in the fancy talk is that they're trying to have more systems in place that are like health at any size, like, you know, having options for people like, um, 
blood pressure cuff sizes, just as like a, an example, or, you know, making sure that people feel comfortable in different, different situations at the doctor's office. So, you know, that's just, they focused a lot clearly on like the medical side, but, um, but yeah. Nicole, I want to hear your opinion on uh, weight bias in the healthcare field. And specifically, I, I want you to touch on BMI as a health indicator that's commonly used. Yeah. Um, when it comes to BMI, first off, I just think if you're a healthcare professional and you're still using BMI to determine an individual's health status, please educate yourself and stop <laughs> using outdated and this inaccurate tool because it is an inaccurate measure of body fat and it doesn't take into account lean muscle mass, bone density, and overall body composition. It also doesn't take into account like our race and sex differences. Like when you think about this, we've talked about it before. It was developed in the 1800s by a white man who was like an astronomer and like 70 kilograms how is that the standard and it's just so insane to me and I think like when we talk about weight bias we think that it's just the diet industry but like it does happen way too often in the healthcare system sure and just like one story that came to mind when we were talking about this is I follow multiple athletes and advocates online that live in larger bodies and that would be deemed unhealthy by society and in the medical field. And the stories that they share are just like wild and infuriating to me. So one woman that I follow talked about how she's always had terrible experiences with doctors and eventually just stopped going because she can never get like the care that she needed and deserved. So one time she went to the doctor's office and she was in a very low mental place and she told the doctor that she was thinking about suicide mm. and his first and immediate response was you would probably feel better if you just took care of yourself and if you were thinner <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> mind you this is an olympic level athlete she lifts she works out in various ways she's established like self-care routines that work for her but her doctors dismiss her because of her larger body and that is where like we have got to continue to call out weight bias in our profession if we truly care about the health and well-being of others. Because if we're just going to promote weight loss and dismiss everything else, then we're missing the mark. And, you know, that woman, of course, like has built a platform for herself. She has like a great support system. But in that moment, she needed that medical care and didn't receive it. Mm -hmm. And that can lead, that can be lethal. That can lead to death. And if we're like, we're in this because we want to like, ha like help people establish health, like positive health behaviors. If we're going to produce more, har more harm than good, then what are we doing? Yeah. Oh, I love That's it. Cool. Coco. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that call to action. It's so important. I feel like this yeah. is a super beautiful note to end it on that <laughs> we all need to do better. And I think uh, mm -hmm. the first step is that we all recognize uh, like our change and our growth and how we've changed as practitioners and how important it is to embrace people for people. We're all just humans. And truly our goal as professionals is to help people feel better. And mm -hmm. um, 
hopefully feel really confident in their skin. And that, that means whatever skin and body they're in and not discriminating on that. Yeah. Real quick though. Um, one tool like to, you know, to continue on with that really quick is uh, the University of Connecticut Rudd Center, like UConnRuddCenter.org has a lot of information on it if people want to take uh, quizzes to find out, you know, what their bias is and they have certain mm, interventions <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that can be helpful to watch certain videos of um, people who are in larger bodies and their experiences. And so if people want to learn more, I think that could be a really good research. And that was encouraged by Finn. I love that. Is that the, we will have to link that up in the show notes for people. That's, that's awesome yeah. resource. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that, uh, I, you're always going to have pushback, right? I, I know plenty of people that already that, uh, will listen and be like, nah, whatever, like what is in privilege? It's not a thing. You're just not working hard enough. Um, but I think it is at the end of the day, like you checking yourself and being like, Hmm, like I, all I, like all you see is someone who is fat or obese or whatever you want to call them. Like, but you don't see that. Maybe they've already lost a lot of weight. Maybe they're like super happy. Maybe they're already trying like very hard. Um, and I know that like I've gotten better, but obviously like I still have my own issues. And it's mostly because like as someone who has who has been overweight, like I I don't want to go back, right? So I'm like I'm scared to see like any any time that happens. Um, but yeah, if someone who's always been like very fit and very just healthy and whatever, it's like, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Just have more broccoli. It's like, okay. <laughs> eh, it's a little more complicated than yeah. that. Yeah. Um, like if you take anything away from this podcast, it's just like, be more open-minded. Yeah. Be a human, right? Be uh, a human. <laughs> Keep etching away at Drew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's open-minded for sure. But, you know, he, he looks at the numbers. He looks at things as like hard facts and you know, I'm like, oh, but, you know, the genetic piece, and this is why, and this and this. Oh. So, okay, I know we said we would end, but I kind of have a question. No, go so, for it. Uh, like, you know, from what we know about, like, adipokines, which are, uh, like, like fat tissue is not just this this thing where it's it just stays, right? It, it plays an active role in, like, hormones and, and fat oxidation and, like, releasing uh, the adipokines so that there's, like, pro-inflammatories like from a science perspective and a numbers person, like personally as a scientist, I'm like, that's not, that's not good. I, I know what pathways it's going to mess up. I know that even if you are very healthy and the blood work looks good, but you're 40 pounds overweight at some point, the dam is going to break. So like, how, how do you, how does someone like me, like r- rationalize that? But then also how does someone like you, like navigate that where like, Hey, I know that you are like healthy and I know you love yourself. And like, but we really have to focus on this so that five years from now, you're not on medicine or so that you can enjoy playing with your kids or living a lifestyle. Like, like, cause for me, that's like a, that's a huge thing is that like, I, I don't, I, we study these pathways and we learn them in depth because they do matter. Like maybe not now, but at some point it's going to, affect that person. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and maybe like how you navigate that and any other comments you have uh, about that. Yeah, that's, it, it's tough because I do think 
in general, you know, if, if someone is making all the lifestyle changes that a dietitian could ever help them to make, and they're still unable to lose weight, let's say their their hormones are just, you know, and their metabolism is just too, it's it's difficult for them to, um, you know, it's the the reduction in calorie and the increase in exercise, or even if they're over over exercising, the reduction in, in exercise and the, paired with the reduction in uh, in calories or adjusting their macros at a certain point, you know, it's, it, they might need to just, you know, realize that that weight is where, you know, their, their body wants to stay in homeostasis, you know, so it's tough to, to tell somebody, you know, you really need to try different things to lose weight when there's just at a point, we don't necessarily, you know, see that bigger picture, um, of what, what do you think, Brooke? Yeah. That's a hard question for, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's such a loaded question. Um, I guess in summary row, what's the real question? Right. There was like 10 <laughs> questions in one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was, it was like, as, as someone who, um, preaches and understands that like you, uh, it's about like lifestyle changes and slow changes and everything like, but also understanding that like being obese has negative effects. Like we can't deny that. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you navigate being like at some point we're gonna have to tackle this if if everything else is good right but you're still obese like is, is very this assuming is this assuming the person does want to lose weight or is this taking that out of that uh how about both how how would that change things ooh yeah plot twist yeah <laughs> uh well I think for me as a practitioner like most people. Honestly, most people come to me with these like grand outcome goals of like, I want to lose, you know, 40, 50 pounds. And I'm like, whoa, like, let's, let's pump the brakes. And like, let's talk about what's a healthy and realistic amount of weight loss for you. Let's talk about why you think this number, wh why this is important to you. Um, what are the root feelings really that, that what's going on here? And so I feel like a lot of the times I'm actually really like scaling back because in my opinion, I think the most important piece is picking health behaviors and habits. Like we want to develop these skills and start working on these things a uh, small step at a time. And then the weight loss will come at, as we do those things. Uh, so that's kind of how like my personal approach to how I deal with it with clients. Um, I don't, I've never had a client you know, who says like, I don't want to lose weight, but I feel like my approach really wouldn't change. It's like, I would still just focus on let's start implementing healthy skills, behaviors, habits, right. and see what happens and how you feel. And maybe let's just use the biomarkers of how you feel as if we're moving in the right direction. And we don't need to use weight loss as a biomarker because that's not a goal. Really our goal is for you to feel better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense. But like, at, at, let's say they feel better, right? But and all the biomarkers are good, but they're still, for whatever reason, you know, like <laughs> 30, 40 pounds overweight. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I'm not like trying to like, you know, get you in some sort of gotcha moment. But like, this is a reality that sometimes yeah. like people are like, I love myself, life is good, I'm, I'm healthy. But at some point down the road, right, this, this obesity uh, is is going to affect that person in a in a way that you know, long-term, uh, is potentially detrimental. But, bro, like at what point though? Like when they're <laughs> oh, like yeah, 75, no you know, and they've yeah. lived like a good long life. life. Yeah. 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 And I, so I think that those are intangibles, right? You can't be like, no one can say like, 
if you're if you stay on this track then three months and four days from now right like yeah you're a1 it's not like a malignant tumor (laughs) yeah 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 but yeah Yeah. i do think one thing to point out too on that is that obesity is a disease so it's like you know that's like telling somebody who has like you know kidney or like heart disease that you know what point are you going to address this heart disease and fix it you know yeah 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 that's very fair yeah (laughs) like Hey, you got to be better because you broke your heart. Like, all right, right. <laughs> what, it what takes, it takes the genetic piece out of it. It's, it's like you need very to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that answer for sure. That's good discussion. <laughs> 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 He's like, at what point? <laughs> well, I mean, because I think it's fair to ask, right? Like, it because it, it's kind of the same thing where, like, in, where people are like, yeah. I've, you know, they have like a 90 year old grandma who's like, I, get, I drink whiskey every night and I, <laughs> and I smoke a pack of cigarettes and now I'm the healthiest person ever. It's like, how the hell did that happen? But I'm and like, you, you made it one that person, far. Let them do exactly. it. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But like one person has like, yeah, I had bonfires once a week for a month and now I have lung cancer. You're like, oh <laughs> mm. man, what a drag. Yeah. Um, wow. So, it, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like if, if, I don't know. It, it's it's just something that I feel like has to be thought about from a from like a, a health standpoint for that person. But I also understand that like you can't like you you all said you can't put a a time frame on like hey when you're seventy or when you're forty. Um, I just think that like if if you have like the power to do, and I know that like again you're assuming that the person has the power to do it, uh, the power to do it, um, then like nipping it in the bud is is always easier or more effective than kind of playing catch up. Uh, yeah. But I know that that's like a, it's a huge, like, again. Well, honestly, I feel like I also, spectrum, yeah. I feel yeah. like my answer Sorry. wouldn't change. I feel like yeah. I would still, I knowing that if we start to implement these small health behaviors yeah. and changes, like let's not have five Cokes a day, let's have one a day. That's going to elicit weight change and benefit them. Yeah. We're just not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on like the skills and the behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I stand by my answer. And- yeah, yeah. No, and I also think that's like a great you answer. can't we can't guarantee a certain amount of weight loss like we can't make their sure. bodies do anything yeah. you know but establishing those positive health behaviors like we know that that can't hurt even if weight yeah. loss yeah. doesn't occur right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and i guess my first answer like it was assuming that they've tried like you know eliminating or reducing the coke or they've tried all these different types of behavioral changes and still nothing's budging, you know? So it's like, we can, we can do so much. Um, and I, you know, 90% of the time it will be, it will, uh, weight loss will occur, but you know, other times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Man, that's great. That's great. You, you all didn't change your, hitting your us with that trick question. <laughs> right at the end. Bro is just, he I is hung it's, up. It's fair enough. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not even playing devil's advocate. I just like, I want to know your thoughts because as someone who's not built to think about that way and I'm not trained to think about it that way, I'm just like, from a numbers point, like we know that this is going to affect every process down the line. For sure. What can we do about it? But you are saying like, well, you just treat them like a person. Weird. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. Thank you so well, much. That was a good one. It's fun. <laughs> All right. Um, any other final like questions, comments, concerns? 
Rose, I mean, no more questions. Right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like pull out a list. Nicole, cut you off. Yeah. It's past your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, she's like he just the, he wants to go into his dissertation, like every <laughs> at the like end of it all. That wasn't. That wasn't even it. I think I had. I think I had a good questions that people think about. It was, okay, it was like, yes, you did have a good yeah. question. I'm glad we got to answer. It was good. Yes, thank you. It wasn't so much. loaded at all. <laughs> yeah. And also, why are you wrong? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for yeah, uh, so much. being here and your time. And this is a lot of fun. Um, where can people find you if they have like further questions or want to reach out to you? Where's the best place that you are living on the internet to find? Yes. So I do have a website, www.eatwithaaron.com, but I live on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Aaron Lipinski. Um, my name spelling, last name spelling should be listed here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put in the notes. <laughs> Is that A-A-R-O-N or E-R-I-N? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You'll definitely link that up in the show notes. We'll also link up those further resources you mentioned about weight bias and stigma from the Rudd Center. Good call on that. Um, and with that, I think, um, you know, cheers to a good night. Thank you cheers. all for yes. being here. Cheers. We will see you yeah. next week course thanks for tuning in and thanks aaron and thank you two of my best friends so always oh <laughs> so cute cue the music 